Sansuk, Chapter 14 Read by Devil with a Bird Dress Meet a Duero Dam Aris, daughter of Geris A tanner, poor but optimistic, Alaris adores being a mum, and loves every bit of her enormous brood. She's very jolly and thoroughly competent, and very rarely gets angry or overwrought despite her poverty and her growing family. Her planning skills are second to none, and she is Arda's champion multitasker. This is not surprising, as she has twelve children with her husband Bomber. She is a bustling Dwerodam, with brown hair and green eyes and a dimpled, cheery smile, and usually at least one child in the crook of her arm. She sings and hums constantly as she works, and her children have all gained a love of music from her. The world was fair, the mountains tall, in elder days before the Healy watched in bemusement. Certainly, he'd been a little impulsive at times. But this took the cake. In fact, it took the whole bakery. Oh, come on, we could take him, said Gimmage, his dark red hair falling into his eyes. We Thorin, who at 37 wasn't so we anymore, rolled his eyes. Gimmage, he's a messenger of Mordor. Who knows what he's capable of? I thought you were going to be a great warrior in that, challenged Gimmage. We Thorin folded his arms and gave the younger dwarfling a long stare. I am a great warrior, he said gruffly. My paused Wallen Fundinil. My dad's a miner, and he could swing your paw under the table, Gimmage retorted, and the two dwarflings scuffled for a moment before Gimmage yelped. Let that be a lesson to you, Weethorin said, sticking his scruffy chin out. Nobody beats my paw. My uncle could, sulked Gimmage, holding his head. Weethorin's lips pursed. Keeley took that to mean that Thorin knew very well that Gimli had outstripped his famous father but didn't want to admit it. Well, if we're not going to fight him, can't we go up and see? Gimmage said sullenly, still rubbing at his head. His cheeks were still bare as an egg, but he had a great shaggy mop of hair on his head that reminded Keeley of Gloin, though Bofer habitually braided it into pigtails like his own. We're not going to fight him, said Wee Thorin firmly. Come on, pick up your chalk. Don't want to. You have to do your lessons, Gimmage. I heard your uncle knew these histories by the time he was twenty. Gimmage's head snapped up. Did he really? Aye, and you're twenty-five already. Wee Thorin's eyes twinkled with youthful cunning. His hair still stood up in a fierce shock, not unlike Dwallin's old mohawk, although he had gained the dark eyes and skin of Orla. Of his three brothers, he was the tallest, though his middle brother Balin had the most strength and the youngest, the toddling Farron, had Wallen's massive hands and arms. Can you interpret this bit? Gimmage glanced over it, and then he folded his arms and tossed his chin into the air. This is Sirth. They're all Sirth, dimwit, Wee Thorin growled. What does it say? I want to fight the stupid messenger. Wrong. It says, 
At the Battle of Daggerlad, Dror smashed the chief orc's head in with a battle axe. Dror's got some good ideas, Gimmij glowered. He had quite a fine Durin glower. Why can't we go see? I want to see. We Thorin sighed. You're not going to concentrate on your lessons until we go and gawk, are you? Gimmij shook his head stubbornly, his curved and protruding plates swinging. Wee Thorin rubbed his eyes and then sighed again. All right. Gimmij jerked, and then he whooped loudly. But, Wee Thorin held up a finger, you have to promise to do your lessons afterwards, or your mother will yell at me. Gimmij nodded quickly. Promise! Mithril true promise! May I be shaved like a man if I break it! Come on! Let's go! Ooh, not good, Keeley murmured and bit down on his lip as the two dwarflings scurried from the room to the upper levels overlooking the battlements. He followed with a sinking feeling, and absently wondered if Thorne had ever felt like this, watching over Feely and himself. Probably. How depressing. Move! I can't see! Gimmij hissed. Not my fault you're a shrimp, Wee Thorne snapped, but he made room for his smaller cousin anyway. Gimmage peered over the edge of the archer's sconce with great big brown eyes, his mouth a perfect little O. Not too far, they'll see you, Wee Thorin said, clamping a hand into Gimmage's belt and hauling him back. Gimmage poked his tongue out and leaned straight back over the sill. From below, the dwarf lords and the messenger would be able to spot his red hair from a mile away. Was I ever this stupid? Keeley demanded of the air. And then he winced. Mahal, am I glad no one is around to answer that. Who's that there? wondered Gimmage, and Wee Thorn snorted. That's the king, dimwit. Oh, wow, his hair and beard are really big and white, bigger even than Grandpa's. Gimmage squinted down at him, and then he brightened. I could drop a pebble right on his head from here. Wee Thorn and Keeley gaped in unison. They named you well, wild one, muttered Keeley. Drop a pebble on the king. Are you crazy? Wee Thorin demanded, and then his next words had Keeley attempting to knock himself unconscious against the stone of Erebor's walls. Use a woodblock. A pebble's too hard from this height, even for a dwarf's head. But it wouldn't hurt my uncle, mumbled Gimmage, and he fumbled in his pocket for one of the blocks he used for wood carving. Bofer was teaching him. Bet it'd just bounce off. It'd certainly bounce off yours, Keeley nearly shrieked. Are you seriously going to drop a woodblock on the king while he fins off a messenger of Mordor? You need a steadier hand than that, scoffed Wee Thorin, and he took the woodblock off Gimmage. Gimmage squawked and reached for it again, but Wee Thorin fended him off by simply placing one hand against the smaller lad's forehead and holding him at arm's length. I hate you, Gimmage snarled. You got what you wanted, didn't you? Wee Thorin snapped back. We can see the messenger. He's not even really frightening. Just a big black bundle of rags. Bet I could take him. Bet your stink could knock him off his horse, you mean? Wee Thorin sniggered, and the two scuffled again. Predictably, Gimmage came off worse once more. Hate you so much, he moaned rubbing his little leg and hopping up and down. Aye, I know, little cousin, Wee Thorin grinned. 
It was Dwalin's rare, shark-like grin. Now, are we dropping this on the king or not? Gimmage leaned over the sill again. Keely's breath caught and he groaned loudly. Aunt Deese is down there, and Mum, he said dubiously. It might bounce off and hit them. Thank you! Keeley shouted, throwing his hands up. Some sense at last! Arr, I am apologizing to Thorin every day for a year after this. You saying I can't hit him properly? We Thorin puffed up his chest like a bullfrog in indignation, and Keeley wanted to weep. You want to take the chance that it hits Aunt Deese? Gimmage pointed out, and we Thorin's dark face blanched a little. Uh... Oh, thank Mahal and all of the Seven Fathers, Keeley wheezed and clutched at his chest. She won't know it was us, Wee Thorin said dubiously, and at that point someone roughly cleared their throat. The two dwarflings and Keeley shrieked in surprise and whirled around to the stairwell. Dwalin was standing there, his scarred and tattooed eyebrows raised and his glass eye shining like retribution. Keeley, Gimmage, and Wee Thorin gulped. You two idiots do know that from up here the whole bloody mountain can hear you, and that red hair is like a bloody flag, Dwalin growled. The tone of voice was so familiar that Keeley reflexively began to cringe, before remembering that, for once, he wasn't one of the idiots in question. Gimmage began to gnaw on his lip, opting to hold his tongue and close his eyes tightly. Wee Thorin was wiser and hung his head. Sorry, Pa. Not yet, you're not, Dwalin said ominously. You two, get. I'll be talking to your Ahmad later, young Gimmage. You mark my words. Gimmage's brown eyes snapped open, filled with panic. Oh no, he whimpered. Dwalin's good eye glittered. Oh, I, and I might just make mention of this to your uncle when he returns if it should happen again. Gimmage's ruddy head whipped up, protest written all over his small face. At the sight of Dwalin's expression, however, he deflated and slunk away. Keeley rubbed at his forehead and let out a long, explosive breath. Perhaps he should make Thorin something nice. Probably Balin, too. Maybe something for his mother, for when she finally entered the halls. And Dwalin. And Bilbo, too, to apologize for all the silly stories and teasing. Oh, and he'd seriously annoyed his great-grandfather Thror last week. And Nori wasn't speaking to him because he'd ruined Ori's new ink before it had cured. Would Feely have any ideas? Oh, now, wait. Fee was annoyed with him for breaking his gem cutter's eyeglass. Oh, Durin's beard. He was going to be crafting from now until the mending of the bloody world. Gandalf was gone, and the drums thudded and throbbed in the air. Frodo's cries were a shrill and sorrowful descant, all accompanied by the rasp of breath as the fellowship tore through the empty and desolate mines. The hiss and zing of arrows stung their ears. Thorin raced after them, shouting out Ori's directions. Behind him, Nali, Loni, and Thrar had shimmered into the darkness of Arda, and their faces were grim and determined. Left here, Loni said tightly, 
and Thorin relayed it. Gimli swerved dutifully, and at the rear of the party, Aragorn fought off the encroaching orcs with terrifying savagery. His teeth were bared in a grimace of pain. Spin that axe, Azagal. Do not choke it, Nali snapped, his old drillmaster's tone sharp and scolding. He watched in approval as Gimli dispatched a pair of chittering goblins with aplomb. My best student, don't you know, he said to no one in particular. Not the time, Nolly, Loney hollered. The doors are ahead, Frar said in his deep voice. His hand was clutched around Loney's tightly as they ran after the fellowship, and he would not look at the corpses scattered around the east gate. Thorne abruptly remembered that it was here, at the east gate, that these dwarves had fallen, and Balin himself had died only a scant few hundred feet beyond, at the shores of Kelidzaram. Go, my star, he roared. The East Gate lies ahead. Do not stop. Gimli let out a choked sob as he pounded ahead of the rest, his heavy boots ringing against stone and his axes dripping. The golden sheen of sunlight was beginning to edge the darkness. How do you know the way? demanded Boromir, his sword cleaving an orc nearly to the navel. Must be mine sign again, wheezed Mary. Oh, hobbits, gullible! Ori panted. Take the second fork. I can see daylight. Ahead, the second fork, Thorin bit out, and Gimli yanked his axe from an orc's skull with a mighty pull, gore spattering the ground. He shouted wordlessly to the fellowship and began to charge for the second fork of the tunnel, the hobbits and the elf following on fleet and noiseless feet. How can anyone read signs with all this hullabaloo? Sam gasped. I can't see which way is up. I can see light. Legolas called, a note of wild joy in his voice. Don't talk! Run! shouted Aragorn, and he launched with a cry at a great orc captain, who, along with a small guard detail, was barring their way. Such was the terrifying ferocity of his wrath that many of the orcs screeched and fled, only to be cut down by Boromir, Gimli, and the white knives of Legolas. Very nice, said Nolly, grudgingly. Could have used a bit less of that dancing elvish footwork, though, just shown off to my mind. Finally, they came stumbling out of the darkness and blinked in the sudden sunlight. The sky was a huge, vaulted roof of gray-blue, and the wind on their faces made Sam and Legolas gasp and shudder with relief. Looking back, Thorin saw the glitter of orc eyes recede into the yawning darkness. Boom, doom, rolled the drums echoing and mocking, making the earth beneath their feet shudder. Sam slumped to the ground and began to weep quietly, and Pippin threw himself into Mary's arms and sobbed into his lap. I will go back, Gimli cried, rage contorting his face. I will find him, and no, Gimli, Thorin shouted, and he was echoed by Boromir. The man caught Gimli around his barrel chest and held on tightly though he had no hope of holding a dwarf using his full strength. You cannot go back, the captain of Gondor said, hoarsely. It is folly. We would not lose you too, doughty warrior. Oh gosh, oh Tharkun, Tharkun, Gimli howled, and then he fell into a heap and pulled his helm from his head, burying his face in his hands. The elf's eyes were luminous and shocked. He did not seem to know how to deal with his own sorrow.
and gazed about himself with a strange and lost air of horror. Thorn looked out upon the Dimral Dale, the once fair Azanel Bazaar, and found that it had barely changed. There, the place he'd picked up a fallen oak branch and swung it wildly. There, where Dane the child had made his stand and lost his leg. There, where his grandfather's blood had soaked through to the bedrock. There, where Freren's body had been found. There, where the bonfire had blazed half a dozen feet high while the wounded screamed in hastily erected tents. This place is cursed, he muttered to himself. Legless, get them up, Aragorn said. Loss colored his voice and made it rasp harshly. Boromir was hunched over Gimli's prone form, and his face was ravaged. Give them a moment, for pity's sake, he cried. By nightfall these hills will be swarming with orcs, Aragorn retorted. We must reach the woods of Lothlorien. Come, Boromir, Legolas, Gimli, get them up. He bent and took the arm of Sam, who was red-faced and sniffling. On your feet, Sam, he said as gently as he could. Lothlorien, repeated Oin, and he shuddered. No! Yonder is the Dimral Stair, said Loni quietly. Over there is the Miromir. Deep Kesseld Saram, rasped Thorin, and he rubbed at his mouth. I remember, he said. May you have joy of the sight, Gimli croaked, and he looked out over the dale with red-rimmed eyes. And ach, look, there is Durin's stone. Frodo turned and looked up at Aragorn. The numb shock on his face was giving way to something deeper and darker and full of desolation. Give him this, he said fiercely. Legolas glanced at the golden tops of the nearby trees with longing. But... Frodo set his jaw. His great blue eyes were wells of absolute despair. Give him, and me, this, he said, his teeth snapping the words. Tolo, Legolas, Aragorn said quietly. Let them go. Legolas's fine jaw rippled as he swallowed. Bo, amantheled, Aragorn, mantogi. Aragorn's eyes hardened. Farn, Melanin, Farn. Frodo turned on his heel and immediately walked over to Gimli, speaking to him quietly and touching his thick arm. Gimli looked at him with desolate eyes and bowed his head, and together the two walked slowly over to where a great paved way had obviously once stood, though it was largely ruined and overgrown. What of the orcs you spoke of? We should not linger here, Boromir said in an undertone. We have daylight enough to protect us, Aragorn said, before glancing around at the weeping hobbits. And sorrow is a heavy burden. Thorin, said Balin hoarsely, they go to Miramir. They do, Thorin said, inclining his head and giving his old friend a steady look. Do you stay, Balin? The sleek-maned head dropped for a moment before Valen sighed and met Thorin's eyes again. I stay, 
he said reluctantly, but I will not go to those waters. I will, said Loney, and Frar nodded beside him. Try and stop me, snorted Nolly. Loney rolled his eyes at his irascible old instructor. I'll leave if you'll excuse me, Ori said, and he looked back at the gaping, broken east doors and sighed unhappily. I'll send another. Aye, Thorin said, before looking sternly over to Oin. You too, Gamal Bahun. You have stayed in those darksome tunnels far too long. Take your rest. Oin snorted, though his eyes slid away from Thorin's. If I've been here too long, you're in danger of becoming a fixture. My duty and my privilege, Thorin said, and he tried to steel himself around the aching emptiness inside as Oin and Ori faded from his sight. Gandalf was gone. The Grey Wizard, old and gruff and powerful, gnarled as an old tree and strong as a mountain, was fallen. No more would the sharp blue eyes flicker to him in irritation or acknowledgement or that strange and unexpected compassion. No more would that scratchy old voice offer that infuriatingly opaque wisdom, the calm and gentle comfort, or ring out in that clarion call of righteous rage. Thorin squeezed his own eyes shut for a moment before he stubbornly pushed his grief away. Gandalf himself had said that death was only another path. Gimli and Frodo clambered up to the side of the great standing stone and looked down over the sheltered valley. Thorin, Balin, Loni, Frar, and Nali followed at a respectful distance, and Loni ghosted his hand over the surface of the monolith, his eyes distant. The stone itself was cracked and worn, and the ancient ruins on its side were weathered so that they could no longer be read. This is where Durin himself once stood, Gimli said, his voice cracking. This is where the father of all of my fathers bent his head and looked into the waters of Kelled Zaram. Did you want to? Frodo said, his own light hobbit voice rasping. Aye, Gimli said, after a long and heavy silence. He slowly moved to his knees and bent over the dark waters, and after a moment, Frodo joined him. At first, the dark pool revealed nothing, and then, just as in the waters of Gimlin's Aram, the darkness parted. The shapes of the surrounding mountains were mirrored against the sheen of the waters, framing a sky that was an aching and yearning blue. There were sunk seven glittering stars against that blue eternity like drowned heavenly jewels. They span and dazzled against the deep, though the sun was high and no stars shone in the sky above them. With a flash of understanding, Thorin realized that this pool, deep Kelezaram, was but a pale reflection of the greater profundity of starry Gimlinsaram in the halls of Mahal. Magnificent, Loni spoke softly. Worth dying for, surely. Frar took his hand and kissed the palm. Kivasha, no wonder of this world, not even the crown of Durin, was worth your life, he said quietly. 
The taller Duero glanced down at Frar, let out a bitter gust of breath, and then turned back to where Gimli stood with Frodo. Oh, Kelet Zeram, fair and wonderful, Gimli murmured. There lies the crown of Durin till he wakes. It is beautiful, Gimli, Frodo said, and a tear fell from his eye to ripple the surface of the water. Aye, it is. Gimli straightened and looked up at the glowering peak of Caradhras, looming behind them. His mouth twisted for a moment, and then he mastered himself. Thank you for coming with me to see it. As he led the hobbit down the sides of the causeway, Frodo placed his hand upon Gimli's shoulder once more and held on tightly as though the dwarf were the only solid thing in Arda. Misery welled in his eyes. Strength to you, Frodo Baggins, whispered Thorin, and he heard it echoed by Frar and Loni. Strength to you, ring-bearer. As the pair rejoined the fellowship, Legolas stood upon a lofty outcrop of rock and shaded his eyes. There is the spring of Nimrodel, he said. We must turn to the south. They turned towards the golden trees with heavy, dragging steps, and Loni let out a sigh. Well, we're free of it, no matter what happens next. Thorin glanced back at the tall Dwaro with a sardonic expression. What happens next is elves. Frar pulled a face as Loni flinched. Ah. Ali grumbled to himself in Kuzdul, all the way from the foothills to the plain before the Golden Eaves, until Balin finally told him to shut up. Thank Durin, Loni muttered. The sudden silence made Thorin aware of whispering to his right, and he turned to see the two young hobbits close together. He frowned and bent to listen. All my fault, Pippin was whispering to Mary, his fingers twisting in each other and his knuckles white. If I hadn't been so curious. What was this? Thorin moved closer to the youngest of the fellowship, and his heart sank even further, if it were possible, at Pippin's guilty and grief-ridden expression. You didn't kill him, Pip, Mary exclaimed under his breath. You can't know that. Maybe the orcs would have found us anyway, not like you hung a sign around his neck or anything. But I roused the whole of Moria with that silly well, Pippin said, his lip trembling. I did, no one else, me, the fool of a took. Oh no, Thorin said, and he sighed. Oh, tender little halfling, you could not have protected Gandalf against the horrors of Durin's bane. He raised his head to look about for Gimli, and spotted him trudging along beside Frodo still, their heads bowed in the rosy light of sunset. My star, the hobbits, he began, but then he was interrupted from an unexpected quarter. No, little one, said Boromir gently. Raise your spirits and smile again. You were not the author of Gandalf's fall. Those halls have long been the haunt of evil things, and who is to say we would have passed unnoticed, your unfortunate well or no? Pippin turned his face up to the man, his cheeks wet. But I... he faltered. Boromir tussled Pippin's curly head. He was fond of your Tukish spirit, little one, he said. Don't let the cold of that place steal all your laughter. I... croaked Balin and he looked up to meet Thorin's eyes, 
I, we cannot allow that place to steal more of our spirit. Thorne gave him a small, encouraging smile. That is true. Balin took in a deep, shuddering breath before exhaling slowly, his chest rising and falling. Then he tipped back his head and stood straighter. I will not let it steal mine any longer, he said, half to himself. Good, Thorin said firmly, and then he turned back to Pippin. And nor should you, little bull roarer, he murmured to Pippin's hopeful, miserable face, recalling all of Bilbo's fanciful tales. Child of adventurers, Gandalf gave his life to save your company. Do not make his choice into your failing. I just wish I'd never... Pippin blurted, and then he jammed his fingers into his mouth to stop his words. Thrown Gretcher down the well, Balin finished, and there was a note of his old humor back in his voice. Thorin could have cried with gratitude to hear it. He threw an appraising look at Boromir as the sun slowly slid back over the peaks of the Misty Mountains. You have learned different lessons than I, he mused. I did not learn the value of compassion until far too late. Perhaps you will not be bound to the same fate, the doom that awaits those who fear for their folk above all else and forget to live. Oh, he hoped so. Boromir was far too mighty and far too good a man, too good a person, to succumb to the shadow. As they entered the forest, Gimli became more edgy and silent, and his eyes flicked this way and that. They passed a rushing stream that Legolas lingered beside, his fair face longing and wistful. Here is Nimrodel, he said. The elves of the north made many songs about this stream long ago, and in Mirkwood we sing them yet. Gimli's dark eyes snapped up to the elf, and a sneer tugged the edge of his lips. Instead of speaking, he bent to lighting a fire. Night was drawing close. Orcs will not dare enter these woods, Aragorn told them in his quiet, authoritative voice. Rest easy. I'll not be resting easily here. Gimli muttered to himself, and he glared at the trees with a trace of his dark sorrow still lingering in the corners of his mouth and in the tightness around his eyes. Not under these cursed trees. At length, a silence fell, and they could all hear the music of the waterfall running sweetly in the shadows. Then, the silence was broken by the lilting voice of the elf, raised over the rushing waters and almost seeming to blend with it. An elven maid there was of old, a shining star by day. Her mantle white was hemmed with gold, her shoes of silver gray. A star was bound upon her brows, a light was on her hair. As sun upon the golden boughs, in Lorien the fair. Her hair was long, her limbs were white, and fair she was and free. And in the wind she went as light as leaf of linden tree. 
Beside the falls of Nemrodel, by water clear and cool, her voice as falling silver fell into the shining pool. Where now she wanders, none can tell, in sunlight or in shade, for lost of yore was Nemrodel, and in the mountains strayed. There was more, but Thorin stopped listening. Instead, he found it more interesting to watch the face of Gimli as the elf sang softly to the sweet, chill waters. His fierce star was weighted down with his great grief, but he did not yet stagger underneath it, though he had come close. His heavy shoulders gradually slumped as the tension bled from them. The strain in his eyes and brow smoothed out as Legolas's voice soared over their fellowship, and his eyelids slid shut as he leaned back and let out a soft breath. Then Legolas broke off, his mouth tight. I cannot sing any more, he said. That is but a part, for I have forgotten much. It is long and sad, for it tells how sorrow came upon Lothlorien, Lorien of the Blossom, when the dwarves awakened evil in the mountains. Gimli's eyes flew open, and he fixed the elf with a resentful glare. But the dwarves did not make the evil. Legolas sighed imperceptibly, his narrow and slender chest falling. I said not so, yet evil came, he answered sadly. Thorin gritted his teeth, but Balin and Loni frowned. Wait, said Loni slowly. Did the elf just... That was almost... diplomatic, said Balin in a puzzled tone. What in Durin's name? Abruptly, Thorin remembered Legolas's conversation with Aragorn, and his eyebrows shot up. Does the elvish princeling actually consider another's point of view? Will wonders never cease? Gimli pursed his lips, but he did not immediately react to Thorin's sarcastic prodding. Instead, he turned to Pippin and Merry. Stay close, young hobbits. They say a terrible sorceress lives in these woods, an elf witch of terrible power. All who look on her fall under her spell and are never heard of again. Balin winced, and Loni groaned. Ugh. Gimli was never very diplomatic himself he said, helplessly. His usual method of problem-solving involves an axe, a tankard or veil, or both. Thorin snorted. I remember. Loni blinked, and then he grimaced, his ears reddening. Oh. Nolly chuckled coarsely. The looks on your faces. That was downright rude of him, though, Frar said, insulting another's leader in their own land. I thought it was direct and to the point. Thorin said, and Balin gave him a long-suffering look full of old exasperation. You would. Thorin glared. My undiplomatic king, Balin added with wry warmth, sword half-drawn and foot firmly in mouth. Where has all your respect gone? Thorin grumbled, and Balin laughed. It was sad and stiff, but it was a true laugh. I suspect I left it behind in Moria and darkness, laddie. He shook his head again. 
Perhaps I did not appreciate Dane enough in life. Glancing back at the elf's stiff and offended face, Thorne had to admit that perhaps they had a point. Gimli, he began, but he was once more interrupted, this time by Gimli's deep grunt. Well, here's one dwarf she won't ensnare so easily, he said mulishly. The dwarf breathed so loud we could have shot him in the dark, came a new voice, silky and superior. Gimli shot up as an arrow thrust itself directly at his nose, and Thorin bellowed in outrage as more arrows were leveled at the hobbits and the men. Gimli glowered as the newcomers revealed themselves as tall and golden elves. The leader looked down his nose at the dwarf, his expression cold and impassive, and yet somehow full of utter distaste. Then the elf turned to Legolas, and his eyes widened imperceptibly. Legolas Thranduilian, well met, he said, and arched his head in a graceful bow. Legolas inclined his head in return, distant, unreachable, and just as cold. All of Thorin's initial dislike for the elf came flooding back. How could he have thought that the son of Thranduil could change? Govanas Vinguenenle, Haldir Olorian, Legolas replied, and there was no difference in him from the arrogant and aloof creature he had first seen in the gardens of Rivendell. This elf was unchanged from the one who had sneered at Thorin and threatened his life. Elves, all the same, he spat, and Balin muttered a curse beneath his breath before raising his voice hastily. Wait, Thorin, he said, wait before you lose your temper this time. Does Balin have better luck arguing with the weather, do you suppose? sighed yet another voice, and Thorin pressed his lips together as his mother walked up behind him and tweaked his ear. Behave, Unadoy, she said. You're tired and full of sorrow, and your temper gets away from you. Are you here to take Ori's place, my lady? asked Fra respectfully, and Fris smiled. Mostly, I am here to convince my son to take his rest, but I will stay for a while longer. I believe Nori and Groyan plan to take the next watch. Hmph, <laughs> Thorin grunted, and his mother tweaked his ear again. Thorineth, stop that, she said sharply. Then she turned to the elves who were arguing with Legolas and Aragorn in that birdsong language, and her eyebrows lowered. What's this? Gandalf fell, Thorin told her, and his throat closed. She left his ear, and her hand settled on his shoulder, rubbing soothingly. I know. The halls are filled with the songs of mourning, she said, and bowed her head, her blue eyes somber. Where did Aragorn lead them? This is Lothalorian, Balin said darkly, and her breath caught for a moment before her chin rose. Ah, and all these elves make already thin tempers stretch even thinner, I see. If they would only stop using those piping bird noises instead of a real tongue, Thorin growled, and Gimli growled too. So much for the legendary courtesy of the elves, he grumbled. Speak words we can all understand. Freese turned to her son with a censorious look, and he winced as she reached for his ear once more. The leader of the new elves gave the assembled fellowship a graceful bow. I am Haldir, he said. March Warden of the Golden Wood. We have heard rumors of your passing, and then upon the waters of the Nimrodel we heard your song and knew you to be one of our northern kindred. If you will vouch for them, Prince, we will lead you through our land, 
though it is not our custom. How many are you? Eight, said Legolas, myself, four hobbits, and two men, and the dwarf. Last and least, Freese said, and rolled her eyes to the twilight sky. No one is exactly covering themselves with glory, are they? We have not had dealings with dwarves since the dark days, said Haldir, his lip curling the slightest amount as he looked down upon Gimli once more. And do you know what this dwarf says to that? Gimli bristled, and then he ground out a stream of snapping, percussive cuzduel. Nolly tipped his head, and his eyebrows rose nearly to his hairline. Now that is a fightin' insult. Then he puffed up his chest. I taught him that, you know. One of my best. Frar winced, and Loney clapped his hands over his mouth as he eyed his best friend in horror. Oh, you rogue, Gimli, you great red-headed wretch, he groaned. I should tan your hide and use it for a rug, for you certainly don't care a whit for it. Do you want a bushel of arrows between your ears? Mahal knows there's plenty of room. Oh no, Balin moaned. Not more secrets. Gimli, I will snatch out your beard. Thorin barely even heard the insult, so incensed was he. They are not permitted in this land, Haldir said over the uproar, his eyes frosty. I cannot allow him to pass. But he is from the Lonely Mountain, one of Dane's trusty folk, Frodo cried, and he was echoed by Merry, Sam, and Pippin. Elrond himself chose him to be part of our company, and he has been brave and faithful, even when the road turned crueler for him than for anyone else. Haldir looked over at Legolas, who was holding himself very tall and straight, and arched an elegant eyebrow. Do you vouch for him? Legolas hesitated. Gimli's mouth dropped open momentarily, before hurt flooded his face, and he began to snarl. Of course he doesn't. I am a dwarf, am I not? I cannot grow points on my ears, nor three feet in height, nor suddenly live forever, and so all I have done for this fellowship and all I have lost is as nothing. Legolas stiffened. I vouch for him. As one, every dwarf in the clearing turned to gape at the son of Thranduil. You what? Gimli said, blankly. Haldir looked equally as surprised, but he rallied magnificently. Very well, he may pass, but his eyes must be blindfolded in the nath of Lorien, for we do not permit stone grubbers to set foot there. Indeed, he has come further than we would have allowed had we known he was amongst you. Gimli's teeth gritted. I will not walk blindfolded like a beggar or common prisoner, he said in a low, angry voice. His shoulders swelled hugely beneath his brigandine as he bunched them in readiness. I am no spy. My folk have never had dealings with any of the servants of the enemy. Neither have we done any harm to elves. I am no more likely to betray you than Legolas here. Haldir turned his eyes back to Legolas, who no longer looked cool and unknowable. Rather, the elf appeared rather frustrated. Master Dwarf, he said through clenched teeth and pinched his nose. Aye, a dwarf, and that is the problem, isn't it? Gimli said hotly. Go, I will not stomach it. I will not be blindfolded and led like a pet for no other reason than what I am. Master Dwarf, Legolas tried again, and Gimli growled low and deep. My name is Gimli, son of Gloin, 
he rumbled dangerously, and I will go forward free, or I will go back to my own land where I am known to be true and honest, though I perish alone in the wilderness. Haldir raised his hand. That you cannot do, he said, his silky voice stern. You have come this far, and you cannot go back. Behind you there are secret sentinels that you cannot pass. You would be slain before you saw them with your dull eyes. Try it at night and find out, Gimli snarled, drawing his axe and planting it before him in the soft loam. Dusk is upon us. Want to make an attempt? A plague upon dwarves and their stiff necks, Legolas cried in frustration. Oh, shut up, Loni told him angrily. Come now, Aragorn said, stepping carefully between the two elves and the obstinate dwarf, and his invisible and furious retinue. It's hard on Gimli to be singled out thusly. I am the leader now that Mithrandir has fallen, and you must all follow my orders. Oh, as though it is that simple, Thorin scoffed, his blood hot and his pulse pounding. Maybe men are easier to lead than dwarves, Frar suggested as he stepped closer to his husband and threaded his fingers through his hair comfortingly. Loni subsided, scowling. Fries glanced at Gimli, standing glowering behind Aragorn. His legs were planted as though earthquakes could not budge him. I should think that cats are easier to lead than dwarves, she muttered. Aragorn spread his hands. We will all be blindfolded, even Legolas. That is fair, though it will make the journey slow and dull. Legolas's head whipped around, and the faintest of colors began to mantle on his cheeks. Suddenly, Gimli laughed his joyous, booming laugh. It was his old laugh, the one that made Thorin's spirit soar. Grief had not stolen it. A merry troop of folks we will look, he chuckled. Well, what's it, Halthing there? Will he lead us on a string, do you suppose? Still, I will be content if only Legolas shares my blindness. Nolly blinked, and then he began to chuckle. Turns the tables quickly, don't he? What? shouted Legolas, and his hand went to his quiver. The hint of color of his cheeks deepened to a rich flush of anger. I am an elf! I am a kingsman of the lord of this land! Aragorn smiled. Shall we now cry, a plague on the stiff necks of elves? Fries patted Thorin's hand. You see, dear, she said in a murmur, that's the way to do it. Bifur hovered behind the Stonehelm's shoulder as he was ushered into the twisting, vaulted corridors of the Elven King's palace. He couldn't help but glance behind at the doors as they closed with a final-sounding boom. Those magic doors brought up a few nasty memories, after all. The Stonehelm was a burly Dwaro, but he looked small and childlike as he was ushered before the antlered throne. He obviously felt it, too and drew himself up as tall as he could, cords standing out on his thick neck as he swallowed. The Elven King, Thranduil himself, gave him an incurious look as he approached, his eyes luminous and detached. A glass of wine dangled elegantly from his hand. Hail, Thorin Stonehelm, Prince of Erebor, he said in his soft, cold voice. Hail, Thranduil, King of Mer. Uh, 
Aaron Lasgalen. The Stonehelm bowed perfunctorily to cover his near slip, and Thranduil's lips were touched faintly by a smile. What brings you to my woods, Prince Thorin? he said, and he rose in one fluid and graceful movement to tower over the Dwaro. I have news, Majesty, the Stonehelm said, and he stubbornly refused to step back to see the Elven King's face properly. Instead, he craned his head upwards, his eyes flashing. My father sends me to tell you that a messenger has now come to Erebor three times. A messenger? Thranduil's eyebrow arched, and then he took a step back. What news is this? Erebor can have as many messengers as it likes. It needs not my approval. The Stonehelm's breath quickened, but he held onto his temper with an iron grip. We have no need of your approval for messengers, and yet this one concerns all free folk, he said crisply. The messenger is from Mordor. Thranduil's glass smashed all over the tiles. Thorin Stonehelm blinked, and then he looked up to regard the Elven King with growing shock. Bifur couldn't blame him. Thranduil had leaned heavily to the side, and he had propped himself up by his hand against the armrest of his throne. His usually calm, cool blue eyes were wide. Mordor, he breathed. The Stonehelm nodded slowly. If you lie, dwarf, Thranduil began and Thorin Stonehelm's fists clenched. I do not lie, he said, and the underlying anger in his tone was overwhelmed by the note of fear. Thrice now he has knocked on our gate, and thrice now we have turned him away. He wishes our friendship, he says, but if he will not get it, then he will settle for war. So do you come to tell me of your new friends? Thranduil sneered and he drew himself up again, his robe swirling about his legs. The prince made a frustrated noise deep in his throat. I come to tell you that Erebor will be at war, and no doubt all the north, for if Erebor falls, there is nothing to stop the orcs of Mount Gundabad from swarming south. Thranduil stared at him. There is more. Explain. The Stonehelm turned away and ran his hand through his shaggy hair. He wants to know about hobbits, he spat. Aye, hobbits, like the burglar of the company. I know he was known to you, and you made an elf friend of your robber. He had a ring, a little ring that turned him invisible. Just a bobble. Do you recall it? Thranduil frowned. I do. He made a stand during the Battle of Five Armies upon our flank wearing that ring. It seemed nothing more than an ounce or two of gold. The enemy wants it, and he will part with three of the dwarf rings to get it, Thorin said bluntly. Thranduil whirled, his hair spinning in a golden and graceful arc as he turned his ancient and cutting gaze back upon the dwarf. The lost dwarf rings of power in your grasp, and still you do not accept his hand? he asked intently. The Stonehelm threw out his chest. We are honorable, he said proudly. We do not betray our friends. Thranduil kept staring at him for a long, long moment, until the prince began to fidget beneath his gaze, 
not even to preserve the safety of your people, he eventually said. Thorin snorted gracelessly. What safety? Ring or no, hobbit or no, Sauron cannot allow Erebor to stand. It is the watchtower of the north, and it guards all the passes. War would come to us eventually. We have never trusted him, and he knows it. Even if he swore friendship, he would turn upon us in the end. Indeed, Thranduil said, quiet and thoughtful. Indeed. Then he penned Thorin with his unnerving stare once more. Watching silently, Bifur shuddered. Why do you warn me? If you do not betray your friends for your people's safety, why come to one who did just that? The Stonehelm's thick neck convulsed as he swallowed, and then he bowed again before the Elven King. Because we were once friends, he said and kept his eyes fixed upon the gray stone of the floor. Because we, at least, do not betray our friends. Because Mordor is greater than the differences between elf and dwarf. Because all our homes, hard-fought and hard-won, stand in peril. Then Thorin straightened, and his eyes were sad as he looked up at the great elven king, Thranduil Orifarian. Because we know how to be strong, he said in a softer voice. Strong enough to shatter. We don't know how to be weak. We don't know how to find a middle way. We don't know when to flee and not to fight. Thranduil's head tipped slowly to the side as he looked upon the young, noble Dwaro. The Stonehelm sighed, taking the silence for a dismissal. We prepare as I speak. If you decide to stand with us, we would welcome the wisdom of the elves. He turned to walk away, making for the curling passages and paths of stone that arched through the halls of Aaron Lasgalin. What is needed? Thranduil said suddenly. Thorin paused. Excuse me? Thranduil took four swift, flowing steps to stand over the dwarf once more. What, he grated, is needed. Medicine, said the Stonehelm, surprised into a plain answer. Warriors and messengers. Food. The Bizaron, ach, pardon me, the Dale folk do not yet answer the call. King Brand is fearful. And what do you think? Thranduil said slowly. Me? Thorin's eyebrows shot up. Well, I don't blame him, to be honest. Mordor is a name to be fearful of. It is, Thranduil said, and then he turned away, his long neck arching as his head lowered slightly in old, remembered pain. My lord? Thorin called after him, confused. I wouldn't, Bifur advised him. His dungeons aren't all that far away, you know. Finally, Thranduil half-turned his head back to where the prince waited. I have avoided your people, he said in a low tone, his eyes glancing over and sliding away from the thick-set dwarf. I have ignored you and your mountain for close to eighty years. And now my youngest son is drawn into the heart of this matter surrounded by peril, and doom faces us all. Mordor. 
I hoped I had heard the last of that name. Think we all did, to be honest, Thorin said, and he tugged at his beard. It's only ever been a story to me. It was something more than a story to me, said Thranduil distantly. Then he span on his heel, his robes flaring, and began to stride away along the curving springs of stone, sure-footed and elegant. I will send healers and messengers and warriors, he said, his voice echoing behind him. You'll what? Thorin reeled, astonished, and then he remembered himself. Ah, my thanks, Majesty. Do not thank me, Dwarf Prince, said Thranduil grimly. We fight against the shadow once more, and that is no cause for thanks. Thorin Stonehelm frowned. You stand with us? Then why not thank you? I will have no thanks from a dwarf, were Thranduil's last curt words before he left the audience chamber and the crown prince of Erebor was left standing alone. Cheer up, Pfeiffer said encouragingly. You could be in a barrel right now. Chapter End Thank you for listening. Translations Sindarin Bo, Amanthaled Aragorn, Mantoghi means Is it necessary? For what purpose, Aragorn? Who is the leader here? Farn means Enough Melonin means My friend Megavanin Legolas Thranduleon means well met, Legolas, son of Thranduil. Govanas Vinguinenle, Haldir Olorian, means, Our fellowship is in your debt, Haldir of Lorian. Kuzdul. Unkash, means, The greatest sorrow. Nahuba, means, Heroic. Unde, means, Greatest boy. Givasha means treasure. Gimij means wild. Asgahith means little warrior. Bizarun means Minivdale. Gimlinzaram means star pool. Gabdukima Gagin Yukulib Mahal is a formal dwarven goodbye, which means may we meet again with the grace of Mahal. End.